All right, everybody, welcome back to the Almighty Podcast. This is Earth Nerd Atkins, Mike Atkins from nerdsonearth.com, and I am, as always, joined by... Uh, your good buddy, Adam Sims, from the Back Patio Network. And we are back again to talk about two more episodes of My Hero Academia. This week, we are talking about episodes 22 and 23, the first one of which is, appropriately enough, titled Bakugo versus Uraraku, who we typically refer to as Ochako because that's easier for Adam to remember. Yeah, well, and it's easier for me to say, too, you know. <laughs> Agreed. Now, I will say these two episodes were awesome. Uh, they were mainly combat episodes, but we got, I feel like we got a lot of story in them for it to mainly have just been four people fighting. Definitely, especially episode 23. There, I mean, in it, again, it is titled uh, Shoto Todoroki Origin, and just by merit of them titling that episode as such, instead of Todoroki versus Midoriya, I think that gives us a little bit of a glimpse into what, the, what, what that narrative of that particular episode is trying to accomplish. It's not just about smashing these two action figures together. They're still in the business of developing these two characters. And the same is true of uh, the Bakugo versus Ochako match as well, I would argue. Yeah, I think so. Uh, one is just, I think, I want to say that it kind of like, with the Bakugo versus Ochako fight, it just, it really kind of barely peels back some of those layers on Bakugo and Ochako. Whereas with Todoroki versus Midoriya, it's like they just ripped the band-aid off. Well, and they, they even begin episode 22 with like very intentional character development, or at least a reminder of the character development that's already taken place, specifically with Ochako. So they start with this montage of a reminder of why it is that she wants to be a hero, uh, hearkening back to her desire to be useful to her parents, um, her adoration of Midoriya, and then later on her new understanding of independence and rivalry inside of um, her role at UA. Um, so you, you get this a reminder, this, this, I guess, validation of the foundation that they've already established with one of the characters that's about to go in and, and battle for progress in this tournament that's going on right now. Yeah, and it's pretty awesome because, I mean, she walks out into the tournament arena and President Mike himself is cheering her on. Like, everyone really, really, you can, I feel like you can tell that she's kind of got all the support when it comes to this fight. You know... I'm, I, didn't, I don't have this in my notes, but when you talk about President Mike being like, this is who I want to win, he has had a really sharp eye for who it is that has a quirk that is excellent. And so you could almost take that almost throwaway line where he expresses who it is that he's rooting for as an indication that Ochako actually has a really, really good chance to win this. Right. If you were to poll the audience, that's not how the, the feelings of the crowd would have fallen out, I would guess. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I mean, when you take a look at it, Bakugo's power is really impressive, and it's very flashy. Like, everyone knows what he does. But I wonder how many people in the crowd knew what Ochako was capable of whenever she walked into the arena. Yeah, hers is very subtle, and there's been a couple of conversations during the course of the episodes thus far where people have talked about or, or hyped up or overemphasized flashier quirks. And Ochako's definitely at a disadvantage on that metric. Definitely. Except for how this fight resolves, because, man, it is not subtle. It is theatrical and epic. Yeah, it really is. Like, I get the feeling that she will be a crowd favorite by the end of today. Uh, it, it was really impressive because they've got the two of them set up to just go mano a mano, and of course she runs right into basically a barrage from Bakugo. 
And, you know, we kind of had this quick cut back to Midoriya where he's talking to Ida. And Ida asks him, like, hey, Midoriya, what would your strategy have been if you were in her shoes? And he pretty much says, like, well, she's going to have to use her powers on him and throw him out of the ring. That's really all she, any opportunity she has, that's it. And I don't think that Midoriya was thinking anywhere near the lines that she was. Uh, it's, it's great, though, because Bakugo doesn't think it either. I mean, he's just going right at her. He's throwing flames left and right. He's just destroying the arena. Uh, and it's kind of interesting because even halfway through this battle, you know, you get a bunch of pro heroes that are like, hey, come on, like, if you're so great, just give it up, man. Like, just, you know, knock her out of the ring. Ha- make this be over with. And, and other people are kind of starting to boo Bakugo. And it's interesting that I think, well, at least I think it's interesting that so many people don't like him. Well, he hasn't done himself any favors in the PR department during the course of any of this, really, or ever, like in the course of the show. That's fair. I guess when you refer to everyone as idiots and second rate, you know, morons. Yeah, extras. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're not doing yourself any favors. And I think we ended last episode kind of spitballing how we think it is that Ochako could come around and actually pull this off. and. I had suggested that maybe she would work her way to the end or the edge of the arena, kind of towing that line, and Bakugo would rush in because his power also requires a certain measure of um, proximity and that she would be able to reach in, touch him, and then toss his you know more weightless than usual body out of the ring. But instead of Bakugo being the aggressor here, he hardly moves at all during the course of this battle. He stands smack dab in the middle of the arena, and it's Ochaka who goes on the offensive and is running right at him over and over and over again. Yeah, I didn't expect that at all. Uh, Like, she is really, really aggressive, and it's kind of neat because she keeps hearkening back to Midoriya kind of inspiring her to continue on. You know, like, she runs up into Bakugo's face, and he pretty much throws fire right in her face. Like, he is not holding back. Uh, And we get some interesting insight here. Midoriya points out something that I feel like should have been really obvious that I had never thought of, which is that if Bakugo is moving around and he's like being active, he's constantly sweating, which makes his quirk much more powerful. Yeah, and that seems like common sense. But of course, it takes, you know, this tactical genius mind to point out something that, hey, people sweat when they move. I mean, I, I, I sweat sitting still sometimes. So yeah, I mean, it totally, it's silly sometimes how we, we overlook, you know, common sense implications of how some of these quirks might work. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I got to say, I, I love what happens here because Aizawa and present Mike, as always are announcing everything that's going on. And present Mike even is saying something to the crowd, like, Oh man, like what's going on here? You know, this is, this is getting crazy because everybody in the crowd is booing Bakugo. And Aizawa does something that I really love. He pulls the mic away from present Mike and he tells the, the crowd, like, all right, whichever one of you heroes started this, you need to go home and hang up your cape because if you can't figure out what's going on, then you shouldn't be a pro hero at all. And, and like, Aizawa's just got big balls, man, and I, I love that guy. He has no problem calling anybody and everyone out, you know? He's my favorite character still. Yeah, and I can see why. I mean, he's just a great character. So we zoom up into the sky, and lo and behold, this whole time, Achako has had this strategy where she's been keeping low to the arena ground, which means Bakugo's been sweeping it and causing all this debris to get loosened up. And she has just levitated the entire, like, I would say probably a good fourth of the arena is now up in the air. What's really interesting is I have in my notes that right before this reveal, Right before the camera pans up, right after Aizawa cuts in and explains that Bakugo is being careful out of respect for Ochako's quirk, 
Ochako kind of goes into what what I want to call is like a some kind of transformation. I, I think that transformation is too strong a word, but she gets the lines on her brow. And when she does that throughout the course of the show so far, it's her kind of transition into this more intense version of Ochako. And so you get this very quick scene where you cut her face and you get those brow lines, those very intense brow lines. And that's when it's shown or or possibly even explained Bakugo has been destroying the arena and that she's about to use this giant debris field over his head to just rain down chunks of the arena on him, I guess, to, I mean, knock him out. I mean, this isn't like an incapacitate move. This is, I'm about to knock you out. Mama said knock you out and I'm about to bring the ring down on your head. Oh, yeah. That's what this is. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Because uh, she like snaps her fingers and just all these meteors basically start falling to the ground. I, I even think President Mike says something like, oh, is this her finishing move? The meteor shower. Yeah. You know, like President Mike, he, he's got to be one of my favorites. I love that guy. Uh, so <laughs> Ochako is hoping, I guess, here to do exactly what you're saying, which is crush Bakugo or at least get an opening on him. And so, you know, all of these meteors start falling down to the ground and uh, Bakugo just looks up and with one blast just takes out all of the debris at once. Like, didn't even think about it, it didn't seem like. And he gets pretty wide-eyed before he pulls this move off. The, the thing that he does is clearly, it's reactive and it is a, a move done out of desperation. It is something that we see afterwards he did not want to do. No. Like his reaction to having to use this this much of his power, you know, in in defense of himself, he this was a line that he did not want to cross and it and it pays a, a, a it takes a physical toll on him that we don't have fully explained to us until the next episode, so I don't want to rush into it. But it creates this it it is such a large blast from his hands. And this is him without his gear either. This is he doesn't have the crazy amplifying grenade gauntlet things on uh this is straight up oh natural bakugo blasting from his from his wrists and it creates a shock wave that's strong enough to send ochako flying out of the ring right it was pretty uh it was pretty awesome i I, i'm not gonna lie like i really loved seeing him i want to say this was almost his full potential i think like it was of course reactionary so he didn't really have time to like charge anything up but for him to react that quick, I mean, the whole time they're fighting, Midoriya and some of the other, I think Kaminari is one of the other people that mention it, like, Bakugo's just fast, like, really fast. Yeah, super fast reflexes. Which I think is awesome. Uh, I, I enjoyed this fight a lot. I did not expect Ochako to pull out that strategy the way she did. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and I actually misspoke. She doesn't get blasted out of the arena. She gets incapacitated. Midnight comes in and calls her basically KO'd. There's a scene where... Bakugo is kind of internally monologuing, and he is super pissed because he thinks Midoriya helped her with this strategy, and he needs, of course, another reason to have beef with Midoriya, of course. Yeah. Um, But we have this scene when she's crawling around the arena, and we're treated to yet another flashback of her telling her mommy that she's going to help the family when she gets older, and it's this uh, kind of pretty emotional moment where she is she is clearly spent i mean she's exhausted to the point of collapse and uh immobility and it's really sad that you know it it gets called on account of basically a knockout i mean you don't have that super exciting you know oh it's a knockout or oh so such and such got incapacitated it's not flashy it's it's sad and it's and it's hard to watch 
Yeah, it is a little bit. I mean, as she's standing up to go and fight Bakugo, because he's coming at her full force, like not about to back down. Uh, she's talking about how, you know, like, if, well, if this was Deku, he would be standing up right now. And right. right as she's about to get decked in the face by Bakugo, she passes out. And he, he luckily, he restrains himself, because I feel like that guy could really do some damage if he was just unwieldy out there swinging arms like that. Definitely. And it'll be, it'll be interesting to see Bakugo matched up against some other quirks later on. Like, we know that he's, he's going to go up against Kirishima later on. Is it Kirishima? Yeah, it's Kirishima. Yeah, Kirishima is the guy that makes himself hard, and Kaminari is the electric guy. I get those two confused a lot. Yeah, uh, you do. I, I'm really bad about that one, so you're going to have to keep me on my toes here. That's, that's who's going to be paired up in the Elite Eight is, uh, and we, we see this at the end of the next episode, that it's going to be Bakugo versus Kirishima. I think that'll um, be interesting. And we, Oh, definitely, because, I mean, there's even the scene from the, uh, the cavalry battle where Kirishima is straight up like, hey, I should be on your team because your blasts won't hurt me that much. Right. So, yeah, it's going to be, it, it could be an example of those quirks where it's like rock versus paper. Yeah. Or, you know, fire type versus a uh, leaf type or grass type. Yeah, it, it could be. An, it's definitely going to be an, an interesting matchup, but that is not at all to belittle or take anything away from this matchup, which, you know, looking at it on paper, it it was Bakugo 100 percent. Absolutely. It was it was directed. It was animated. It was it was it was set up narratively in such a way that it was. It's the best match so far, hands down. Definitely. Well, and the one thing that I really love, which this is kind of part of the next episode, but there's a moment where Bakugo goes back to the stands, and I, I think it's Mineta and a couple of the other, maybe Sue, says something to Bakugo, like, man, you were really playing the villain, like that poor girl. And he says something like, no, she's not a poor girl. Are you kidding me? Like, he almost takes offense to that. Like, he, he knows that she is worth her weight. You know what I mean? Like, she really, I think she made him, like, kind of sweat it there for a second. Oh, definitely. When he looked up and saw that stuff hovering over his head, uh, he might have dirtied his uniform just a hair. Just a hair, yeah, yeah. So we get this scene right after the fight where Midoriya is going to console Achako because she's got to be absolutely devastated. And he runs into Bakugo, and Bakugo straight up is like, oh, I know that was your plan. You know, like, I know that you had to have told her that. Like, you're the one that comes up with these annoying plans and strategies. It, there's no way it was hers. And he kind of tells him off, like, no way, man. This was all hers, 100%. And if that fight was harder than you thought it was going to be, then it's because of her. It had nothing to do with me. And I really loved that. Like, I think Bakugo was really taken aback that, you know, not everyone has to rely on Deku to have these awesome strategies or anything. You know, like, some, there are going to be people he fights that he may lose against or have a hard time against, and it's not someone else's fault. Like, he's, yeah. just, he's just too... Uh, Ambitious isn't the right word. He's, uh, he's too proud. Definitely. And I don't know how it was in the dub, but in the sub, as soon as Midoriya addresses Bakugo, Bakugo just says, what the hell do you want, die scum? Oh, <laughs> like, die that's scum? what it was. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the end of it. I was like, what? I was like, that's a bit over the top, even if he does suspect Midoriya had a hand in the strategy that Ochako employed. Wow. It made me giggle, though. It's funny with that uh, that. He's constantly like it, it goes all the way back to him yelling die at the baseball when he was throwing it. it just yeah, gets me every time. Yeah, he, he seems like he consistently refers to Midoriya as a uh, uh, damn nerd like you damn nerd all yeah. the time, <laughs> uh, which is funny because I don't even know that I consider Midoriya like a nerd. Like he's not he's not what I would consider a nerd. You know what I mean? Like, I guess he's kind of a geeky guy, but 
Now, even then, I don't, I don't know that I would classify him as geeky at all. We have I mean, he, I would say that he is relative to a lot of the other people in the hero class that he would be relatively nerdy. I guess, but nerdy with what? Like, we haven't, I mean, I guess nerdy with heroes, maybe. Maybe that's, yeah. but everyone is nerdy with heroes in this world. Like, Bakugo himself wants to be a hero. He would also be a nerd. You know what I mean? But, but not everybody keeps, like, weird journaly diary-like notebooks of heroes and Okay, that's and fair. claims that they're going to get into UA just based on passing the academic part portion of the test. And, you know, I, I, I think that his... His perception of Midoriya as a nerd goes back to, it has its roots in quirkless Midoriya. Okay, that's fair. I will totally give you that. I, I, I forget about that sometimes. <laughs> um, so then we get a scene with Ochako kind of s- sitting in the green room or the staging room. Um, and she gets a call from her dad. And th- this is probably my, as spectacular as her move against Bakugo was in that match. This is probably my favorite part of this entire episode. Really? Yeah. She's she's has this phone call with her dad and her dad is, you know, telling her, "Hey, we were watching this on the television." And she's upset. And he asks her, "What are you in such a hurry for?" And she explains, "I want to hurry up and and be this hero so that I can help you guys." And his response is this, and I, I wrote this down verbatim. He says, "You feeling that way shows that you'll be a great hero." And I just, I wrote that down in, in parentheses next to it. I said, he didn't say you'd be a great hero. And this, the, the grammar here matters. He is saying you will be. It is, it is almost like him pro- projecting into the future or prophesying or, or being sure of something, having confidence in her and, and at the same time being an encouragement to her as opposed to saying that you would have been had you succeeded in this thing that we watched you you know basically fail at i mean she doesn't she doesn't progress this is the end of her time in in this particular match and just that so just that tense of that conversation that he has with her i was like man this is this is it this is this is what i'm here for this is what i like this is the character development we're we're definitely here for all the explosions and the cool powers and stuff but the character development is what's going to keep me hooked Definitely. Do you have any idea what her father's or her or even her parents' powers maybe are? Like, do you have any ideas on what you think they may be? The, I it, don't. The reason I, I ask is because when he's on the phone with her, he says something like, I don't really know how this whole hero thing works, but you've always got next year, right? And it makes me wonder, like, uh, does he not have quirks? Do, you know, do her parents and the rest of her family not have any kind of quirks or maybe they're not good ones? Yeah, I wonder, too, just based on just thinking aloud now that you're asking me about it, if quirks might be recessive, because th- that could be that neither of her parents have quirks, but now she has one. And that might also explain some of the failure that Endeavor seemed to have trying to make somebody like Todoroki. If it's a recessive gene, then he would probably have to try multiple times in order to have a, a success. Yeah, but I feel like if it was a recessive thing, then you wouldn't have so many people with quirks. Because it seems like almost everyone has a quirk. That's true. Would they say like 80% of the population? Yeah, or, or even more than that. I mean, I don't think... I think Midoriya is the only person in the show... Now, of course, we've been shown a very small portion of the world at this point. But I want to say he's the only person that doesn't have a quirk. Right. So, I don't know. That is interesting, though. Um, I, I was just trying to figure out, like, if they own a business and they... You know, she's got these levitation powers and she throws up rainbows... What what powers did her parents have, you know? 
Yeah, maybe one of them, maybe that their quirk is that their bodily fluids are rainbow colored. That's probably it. I'm that bad. would be a terrible quirk. How do you even <laughs> explain that to somebody? Like everything that leaks out of me, snot, tears, pee, it's all rainbow colored. It's all rainbow colored, yeah. Well, I mean, quirk. maybe you wouldn't have to explain it to anybody. What do you mean? Like, you just, oh, maybe you just keep all that private. I don't know. Like, you, you sneeze and rainbows come out of your nose. <laughs> no, what you would do is you would tell people that you were quirkless. That's what you would do if your quirk was that all of your bodily fluids were rainbow colored. I don't know. In this world, it almost seems like it would be better to say that you have a really strange quirk like that than to be quirkless. Like, I feel like people would totally pick on Deku for being quirkless before they'd pick on me for having uh, rainbow piss. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I, I, if I had rainbow-colored pee, I probably would keep that to myself. And Like, you know, at some point, somebody would find out and I'd be like, you tell nobody. You tell no one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I am quirkless. You understand? Quirkless. <laughs> And you know what's great about all of this stuff that's been happening between uh, Achako and Midoriya in this locker room is that Midoriya, whenever he walks in on her, she's like not upset at all, you know. And I really expected there to be this kind of big breakdown, and I, I think she was just hiding it from him and then kind of unleashing it whenever she got on the phone with her parents. But even then, like I think she has a good grounding. She has a good understanding that like this isn't the end for her, you know. And I think that's awesome. I think too that she surprised herself in this match. Um, she, she did so by not relying upon Midoriya for strategy and by following through executing on, you know, this plan that she had. I mean, this, this was a plan. This was a thought out, well executed strategy against Bakugo in his particular quirk that, that she managed to pull off. And even in the face of taking the L in this case, she has much to be proud of and she doesn't take full comfort in that she's still upset because again she's not just in this to prove something to herself her motivations lie external to her i mean they are her parents and the well-being of of them and their family and so she she can't take full comfort in knowing that she did better possibly even than she thought she was going to um but she can take some measure of it and i do think that she does try to keep a little bit of face up in you know, with with regards to Midoriya, she's wanting to keep that that pleasant, bubbly facade up because that possibly is also who she thinks she is and should be at all times. True, and that's probably how Deku knows her. So she has she probably feels like she has some sort of expectation to meet with him. That's a good point. Well, Deku doesn't get to hang out with her for too too often or, or too too long, rather, because he ends up having to make his way to the ring himself to face off against Todoroki, but his travels are interrupted. Yeah, Endeavor stops him in the hallway, and it's kind of interesting here because for a second there, I kind of felt like Endeavor was being genuine and kind of like, no, I don't want to say nice, but he was being polite to, to Midoriya, like just in a casual passing, like, hey, you know, you remind me of All Might. He didn't seem threatening. And then like a freaking light switch, he just turned into the biggest jerk ever. I mean, Endeavor just has this way about him. You know what he I mean? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue with you here. I don't think a flip was switched and he became a jerk all of a sudden. Endeavor has been nothing but a jerk. Okay, the entirety that's of this show. <laughs> no, you're totally right about that. But I mean, like, he kind of put on a facade for Deku for a couple seconds here. Uh, yeah, and I was curious about what he was going to do here. Uh, in my notes, I just said, what will Endeavor do? And I thought that maybe he would try to 
sabotage Todoroki by giving Midoriya some insight. That's kind of what I was thinking too, actually. But And he would do this to try to further push Todoroki to stop holding back. That that would be Endeavor's goal, if he were to give Midoriya some insight on how Todoroki's quirk would work, per se. Um, but if he did, my bet was that Midoriya wouldn't have acted on it just out of a sense of honor and respect for Todoroki. Um, but instead, instead of trying to sabotage Todoroki, he just straight up says, hey, listen, you have this power that's very much like All Might's. Don't. Don't hold that back. Don't turn that down to four. I need you to crank that sucker up to 11 and give Todoroki a good test. Because if, if Todoroki's goal is to overcome All Might, and your quirk is like All Might's, this would be a good litmus test for his ability. Yeah, and then he pretty much tells him, like, don't you dare hold back and disgrace yourself and disgrace All Might and disgrace my son. Uh, and he doesn't call him my son. He just says, you know, don't disgrace Todoroki. Like, I don't think that Endeavor sees Todoroki as his son almost. He sees him as, like, this weird trophy creation. Yeah. And there, Midoriya has a really great line here, and it took a lot of... Mineta balls to say this. Yeah. He he looks at Endeavor and he says, I'm not All Might and Todoroki isn't you. And then he stalks off, turns his back on Endeavor and starts making his way to the ring. And if there was a moment where I was going to be vocal and cheer for somebody during the course of this episode, that was it. That yeah. was when Midoriya was like, brother, I'm not All Might. And I would think that y- you would have in parentheses, not yet at least, because um, that's definitely his goal. Um, and Todoroki isn't you and will never be. I think that's kind of the pr- parenthetical understanding that majority uh, that Midoriya projects to uh, to Endeavor when he drops that line and walks off. And it was it was a heck of a moment. Yeah, it was. Can you imagine being like he's got to be, what, 13 or 14 at maximum, I would think, maybe 15 and telling the number one hero off? Like that, yeah. Gosh, it's a junior high running his mouth at Charizard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So eventually Midoriya makes it to the ring and Todoroki says, so you're here as if he thought maybe Midoriya would no show um, or maybe I'm just reading into that. Um, But then we pull away from this showdown that we've been waiting on to uh, a a brief scene of Shigaraki, the dude with the disintegrate quirk and the hands all over him. And he's told by presumably the person who was on the other end of the no video chat at some point, that he needs to watch this match. Shigaraki, Shigaraki needs to watch this match carefully because they, referring to Todoroki and to Midoriya, that they might become obstacles to him someday. And they've already proven to be obstacles to, uh, to him and his tasks already uh, at the uh, end of Season 1 in the USJ. Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of curious what you think about this. I kind of thought of it on the drive over to the recording studio, actually. Uh, I'm wondering if Shigaraki is somehow related to Todoroki. Like, I know their names aren't the same, so I get that that's far-fetched, but they kind of look similar. Like, Shigaraki is kind of a, uh, almost like an emaciated, ver- like older version of Todoroki. He's got the same white hair, though, and they both have this kind of weird obsession with All Might. And it makes me wonder if, if Shigaraki, it makes me wonder if Shigaraki is actually another one of Endeavor's creations, or if maybe Endeavor helped create, uh, what's his name, Nomu? I, I'm not, I, like I said, no basis for this at all. It's just kind of one of those things where I'm going, I wonder if Endeavor's involved with these guys somehow. Yeah, I hadn't had that thought in. Just on reflex, I think I wouldn't like it only because it would make the show feel so small. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same reason why I I struggle with 
the new Star Wars trilogy where everybody's related to the original heroes from the original trilogy. And it just makes the universe feel tiny when everybody's related to Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. Um, like more than one person can hate All Might, even though yeah. they're wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, then we have, I, I, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but Midoriya, and this is kind of the end of this episode. Could you imagine if we were, if this was the last episode of a pair that we were watching? I would have watched it anyways. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> we, you'd have been like, no, we're talking about this right now. Yeah. And yeah, I'd have been like, all right, let's hit pause on the recording so I can go watch this. Yeah. There's no way that I couldn't have talked about, like, I would not have stopped on that episode. Yeah. Cause the end of it is just them saying, start. That's it. And I would have been like, oh, thank God we get to watch one more episode this week. Yep, yep. <laughs> but did you notice that Midoriya is still rocking bandages from his first match? I did notice fingers? that. Yeah, and I think like uh, Recovery Girls basically healed him up, but not 100%. Like maybe he's at like 98 or 95, because I've noticed that when he is using his fingers the way that he like flicks them, uh, it, it seems like they spread out blood. So it makes me yeah. wonder if they're like, maybe she fixed the bones and fixed the joints, but he's still bleeding a little bit or something. I think that it's almost like a profit move. And this comes up later on in, the, in this next episode, in episode 23, in that they want Recovery Girl to heal the participants enough so that they can continue on. And we know that her quirk saps stamina. So she healed him like, up like enough to enough. be... Yeah, to be functional without sapping any more stamina to kind of give him a... To, to prevent from giving him a handicap in the next battle. Huh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're probably right. Because otherwise, they are having these battles pretty much back to back to back. So, right. uh, you know, we would have... He would be sapped if, that, if he had been healed 100%. So yeah, you're totally and, right and about Cementos that. Yeah, and Cementos brings it up, or Cementos brings it up in the next episode where he, after Midoriya starts you know, flicking with all these fingers, which we'll get to in a second. He, he basically says if, if the, he keeps going this way, recovery girl won't be able to heal him well enough for him to continue in future matches. Yeah. Um, so I, it was just a strange thing that I picked up on ahead of that conversation with Cementos. I was just like, man, he's still carrying some amount of battle damage, uh, into this second fight though. Uh, you know, that he sustained with his confrontation with Shinsho. Shinsho? Yeah, I believe that it was right? Shinzo. Uh, that's the, uh, he's only, I think they've only said his name like once or twice, but it's the psychic guy. Yeah, Shinzo. Well, and it, it's right. kind of also, they touch on this a little bit with Todoroki because like he absolutely wrecked uh, the tape arm guy. Oh yeah, Saro. Right, Saro, but he used so much of his power that at some point in time, Bakugo is kind of like, I wonder if maybe he depleted a little bit of his power from that match and he hasn't completely recovered from it. Uh, but we'll we'll definitely get into that. One of the big things that happens in between these two episodes, though, is that we see the final showdown between Kirishima and Tetsu, 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 Tetsu. That's right. The the, the arm wrestling match nobody asked for. Right. <laughs> and it was interesting, too, because we get this scene where uh, Kirishima basically, it looked like he just broke Tetsu's arm. Uh, but he, it, Tetsu kind of like shifts out of his metal alloy state and just says something like, oh, my metal deficiency. I should have had more iron this morning. <laughs> I, I thought that was so goofy. I'm like, dude, come on. There is no way that that is completely based on iron and, and your intake of it. But then I'm thinking like, nah, that totally makes sense. 
It could, it, yeah, it totally could be. If a good crap means Mineta has a good day of tossing purple balls off of his head and Momo has to eat so many calories in order to be able to generate this stuff from his body, I, I totally get an iron deficiency might put a limit on Tetsu Tetsu's powers. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So I guess we're going to get to see Kirishima uh, power up against somebody here. It, well, we have already talked about it. We're going to get to see him face off with uh, Bakugo. Yeah, not in these episodes, but in the next ones. That's going to be a fun ones. match. Yeah, definitely. So let's get straight into this fight between Midoriya and Todoroki, man, because, man, it is it is freaking awesome. Like, this is a great fight. Uh, they both have these moments of internal monologue where they're talking about how, like, well, I know that Todoroki's going to start off real strong with a giant ice blast, so I better just, you know, be prepared and, and ready to knock it down. Todoroki's thinking the same thing, and they say start, and that's exactly what happens. Like, Midoriya's flicking one finger at full power, and Todoroki is sending ice as hard as he can. And they negate each other. It's the first time that I guess this crowd has seen Todoroki's powers negated. So they're, oh, that's a good point. They're all cheering. They're freaking out. You know, and it, it, this goes on for probably in episode a good minute or so, I would say. Maybe a minute or two where Todoroki's like flinging ice at Midoriya. And Midoriya's just flicking it away with his wind powers. And of course, everyone in the crowd is getting like frozen because all of this wind is navigating around this ice that's keeping Todoroki in the, the actual arena itself. Yeah, and this was an interesting point as they seem to be almost at this stalemate, right? Where neither of them is really moving. Todoroki is using giant walls of ice. Midoriya is blowing these giant walls up by flicking his fingers. And I just had a note at this point um, during my viewing that Todoroki, to, to our knowledge at this point, we haven't seen a limit or a cap or an extent to his powers. So I have in my notes that Todoroki can do this all day, but we know that Midoriya cannot. We know Midoriya's limits, and he starts counting down fingers as charges. I can only do this so many times. At one point, he says he only has six more charges because he's, he's already used two of his fingers, and he wasn't counting thumbs at the time. Um, so he starts counting his, his one-for-all blasts off of his fingers, almost like Deadpool counted down bullets in that, that awesome scene from the totally. first Deadpool movie. Yeah, And we cut away from this in that question, because as you're watching this, that has to be a question on your mind, right? I mean, we, we know that there is a finite limit. We are familiar with it when it comes to Midoriya. We have no idea the extent of Todoroki's power. And so they cut away from that, that tension and that question that should be resting in the minds of anybody paying attention. And we go into the stands where Bakugo is talking with some of the students from Class 1A, and he's explaining the limits of his own power. And in this, this explanation that he gives coincides with this question of, well, does Todoroki's quirk have a limit? Right, and I thought that that was a really well orchestrated, um, like narrative tension, and then explanation of of what was going on. Yeah, I thought so too. And I actually, I really, really like the comparison that Bakugo makes because he's telling Kirishima and Kaminari and Sue's there and uh, Jiro's there as well. He's explaining to them. I think even Mineta's in the background. Uh, but he's explaining to them, like, you know, with these physical powers, they're no different than muscles. Like, if you go out and you run three or four miles, your legs are going to hurt. If I use my powers a whole bunch, I'm going to hurt. Like, these Todoroki has to have some sort of limit. And he even kind of compares his, his ice powers to, like, an MP gauge, like a mana pool from Final Fantasy or something. Right. And right. I love that. I thought that was perfect. It's a great way to kind of describe it. Uh, and m while this is all happening, Midoriya is picking up on 
some subtleties here. You know, like Todoroki's slowing down a little bit. Uh, his ice isn't coming out quite as quickly. He's not quite as powerful as he was the last four or five blasts. It's like he's slowly weakening over time. There's a lot of stuff that's going on all at once at this point in the episode. Uh, so we, we have Todoroki who gets to a place where he understands Midoriya's waiting game. And so he decides to actually move in uh, to try to put a quick end to this match. And this is Midoriya is having this conversation with Todoroki that, in which Midoriya seems to be taking offense at the way that Todoroki is approaching everything at this point i mean yeah his approach to heroism he he's basically chastising him he says you want to win with just half of your strength everybody else is giving it all that they have and he seems to be offended on behalf of that everyone else um and, and that's a really interesting perspective for midoriya to have and before we started recording you and i had a a little bit of um a back and forth about whether midoriya was genuinely offended or if he was trying to motivate Todoroki to to embrace who he is and and his limits or, or, or to excel beyond them and to move past this this um this animosity that he has with towards his dad towards Endeavor yeah and that seems to be what All Might thinks because we get a second there where All Might is like um young Midoriya are you doing everything you can to you know encourage your enemy or something uh, and you made a really good point when we were talking about this earlier. You know, I don't think Midoriya sees Todoroki as an enemy. Like, he's just another, he's another student. He's a rival. Uh, I think they have mutual respect. I don't think that he sees Todoroki like All Might probably sees Endeavor. Because I get the feeling All Might probably considers Endeavor somewhat of an enemy. Well, certainly that Endeavor sees All Might as an enemy. I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it traveled both directions Definitely. Uh, between the two of them. even though. All Might was at least nice enough to invite Endeavor to some tea. It might have just been, you know, one of those gestures that you have to make to not appear like you actually hate that guy's stinking guts. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I will say another thought that I just had is it's kind of interesting. Whenever they first started fighting, uh, Midoriya makes kind of an off-color comment about how Todoroki is so fast and his battles are so short. He doesn't have a whole lot of data on how he fights and he has no real information on how to even like face up against him. So it also makes me wonder if maybe halfway through this fight, Midoriya is trying to get Todoroki's full powers out so that way he can at least document it. Because there's, I had the same thought. Yeah, there's a part of him that I feel like he doesn't like not knowing other people's like full potential. He seemed kind of taken aback when he found out that Ida uh, had kept his like super move away from him, kind of. So I wonder if he was just kind of trying to pull that out of Todoroki. Yeah, and so Aizawa at one point says he's trying to figure out what is what's Midoriya's motivation for like in the midst of this match. And I had the same thought that you just outlined that I thought at minimum that Midoriya is just fishing for information. You dare to call him not a nerd. That is the nerdiest thing. Okay, yeah, you're totally ever. right. That is pretty freaking <laughs> <He's>, nerdy. <laughs> he is just in information collection mode. Or that's that's one way to interpret how uh, the the scene was unfolding. Anyway, it, it 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 turns out to be vastly more than that. Absolutely, yeah. Well, let's talk a second about all of these flashbacks that are happening. So during the entire episode, there have been these Todoroki flashbacks, and they're awful. Like they are truly heart wrenching, upsetting flashbacks. Like we see 
five-year-old Todoroki getting the crap beat out of him by Endeavor, and Endeavor yeah. is just He's like... He's five years old, and he got hit hard enough by his dad to vomit. Yeah, and Endeavor's like, oh, well, he needs to deal with it, because at some point in time, he's going to have to fight All Might. And Todoroki's mom is like, come on, man. And then, of course, like he just slaps the crap out of her. Like Endeavor has done nothing to make me like him at all. Like He just continuously gets bad. Agreed. And then we see another scene where Todoroki is like a kid, and he's talking about how he wants to be nothing like his dad. And his mom tells him, like, well, you don't have to be anything like your dad. Just, you know, be you. Just keep you in mind. And it's kind of, I get the feeling it's Todoroki. He's being reminded of his mother by Midoriya. Because this whole time, Midoriya is kind of chastising him about him Mm. not using his powers and him, like, letting his dad control his fate and whatnot instead of him being in control. It's like, And he even mentions, and I think this probably is one of your favorite lines, he says something along the lines of, you are not your father. Like, this is not your quirk. This is not his quirk. This is your quirk to deal with. You do with what you want, you know? And it it really brings Todoroki out of that shell. And we see one last scene where he stumbles across his mom and she's talking to her mother, so it's Todoroki's grandmother, about how, you know, she can't raise this kid anymore. Like, she looks at him and all she sees is Endeavor and she she needs to get out. And he's like, oh, well, what are you talking about, you know? And then we see this scene with that boiling uh, water, I guess, like the tea kettle. Right. Oh, man. And then, and then we just see Endeavor talking to his creation about how that woman hurt his favorite trophy, his favorite creation. And poor Todoroki is like, well, where's, wh- what happened to mom? Where's she at? And I don't know what they said in the Japanese version, but in the English version... Endeavor says, oh, well, she hurt my favorite creation, so I put her in a hospital to make sure she was safe. Yep, that's exactly what he said in, oh the, my gosh. in the subtitle. When he said that, I was like, mm, this guy, this dude, you know. And, of course, I'm watching this with my wife right now. I, even my wife, Hannah, was just like, are you kidding me? Like, she was so furious. You know, during that scene when Todoroki's mom was on the phone with her mom, and you you see that tea kettle kind of boiling, almost almost like background noise in the background. But we already familiar with this piece of his story that it it is significant. You can't you can't watch a flashback of Todoroki and not keep your eyes peeled for boiling water. And so it's it's conspicuous, right? And in the midst of that scene, hearing like being made privy to what it is that he hears from his mom, I actually wondered if we were about to find out that Todoroki actually did, if Todoroki actually would inflict that wound upon himself. Almost like he overhears his mom saying that every time that she looks at Todoroki, that all she sees is Endeavor. And in response to that, that he tries to hurt that piece of himself, if that makes sense. Yeah, like trying to expunge that piece of himself. Yeah, that would have been a crazy plot twist. And I half expected it watching this scene unfold that in deference to his mom and in anger against his father that he would self-mutilate in an an attempt to try to appease his mother. I'm I'm glad in hindsight that that's not how this this flashback unfolds. Uh, I think that this is not just a safer play, but it also is a more complex play like that his mom would still be motivated to do what it what it was that she did to him 
um, that that's still a difficult concept, whereas self-mutilation is a tough concept, but it's, it's much simpler from a, a literary standpoint, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying there. It uh, it was dark, man. It it's a it's a sad scene. Like I hate seeing. I hate the idea that there's like, even though this is totally fictional, right? Like I hate the idea that there's this kid out there that that has this kind of upbringing. It it just kills me. Right. But this leads us right back into the fight, though. I mean, it's really cool because Midoriya's kind of getting the the hand up on on Todoroki here. You know, the there's a scene that you were describing where Todoroki kind of lunges in to try and get the fight in close and almost freezes uh, Midoriya's foot. Midoriya like blasts him back with a full arm blast and then uh, there he's actually able to punch him at one point and this is when he's telling Todoroki like look you know we're all trying our hardest out here why are you only using half of your powers? Yeah I've even got a quote here in my notes he says that's why I give it my all and that's why you should be too and he tells him like you know you don't have the right to be number one or the best if you don't use your full powers. And I, I think that that's pretty heavy on Todoroki. Uh, and Todoroki replies with, you know, well, I never use my left in combat. That's just, and, and he's getting punched as he says this. And that's when Midoriya says, well, it's your quirk. It's not your father's. And, yeah. And if we get one of the best scenes that I think has happened in the episodes that we've watched so far, uh, Todoroki just powers up, man. And I loved it. It was awesome. Yep. It's, it's so previous or prior to this scene. Prior to Todoroki unleashing this this fire elemental piece of who he is and embracing who he is, possibly for the first time in his entire life at, at the behest and the motivation of Midoriya. Prior to this, my favorite scene, the coolest scene, the most visually like exciting scene was when Bakugo got really ticked off during the cavalry battle. Uh, like that was just the coolest moment visually. But this takes the series cake hands down thus far. Yeah. I mean, when he starts, when that fire just starts blazing off of his left side, and th- I mean, it's just the ice awesome is like looking. forming around his right side feet. Oh, it's cool. Yeah, it is stunningly beautiful when Todoroki turns it on. Yeah, and it's it's crazy because right before this, we kind of have this scene where Midoriya is breaking down what he believes Todoroki's weakness is. And he mentions, like, your left side's getting cold. Like, your whole body's getting cold. He says something along the lines of, normally, you would use your right side to balance out the temperatures, but because you're refusing to use that right side, you are detrimenting yourself. And so once Todoroki lights up, like, flame on, the ice side melts down. I guess, like, there's some temperature equilibrization there. I don't even think that's a word. Well, that is not even close to a word. <laughs> But he equals out, and and then Todoroki is like 100% charged, like ready to go. And of course, out of nowhere, we get Endeavor that comes up from the stands, and he's talking about how like, oh, you finally have accepted your fate in this world, and you've been created for this your whole life. And it's so funny because present, like, he's just making himself look like a big fool in front of the entire arena. And at first, I was thinking, okay, well, maybe no one else is really hearing this, like it's internal monologue. But then President Mike says something like, yeah, some really strange motivation coming from Endeavor over there. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's interesting about this dynamic that exists between Todoroki and Endeavor is that Todoroki fears that because chronologically 
his dad's desire for Todoroki's life and his dad's design for Todoroki precedes Todoroki himself. Right. That that means that if Todoroki embraces who he is, that it's secondary and that it's a fulfillment of what his dad wants. When in reality, I think that in this, in the midst of this match, when he goes a hundred percent and he showcases both pieces of his, his quirk, that he's embracing himself and he's not necessarily at the same time embracing who it is that his dad wants him to be and who it is that his dad perceives him to be. Yeah. Um, this is Todoroki embracing himself as an individual for the first time during the course of the show that, that at least that we've been made privy to being or becoming Todoroki in the midst of this, um, this arena Everything comes to a screeching halt because everybody's worried that it's things are about to get way out of hand. Definitely. Uh, now you have, you know, two of the most explosive quirks, most powerful quirks on showcase. Uh, now, both of them embracing 100 percent and the match is brought to a grinding halt. So you have Cementos starts erecting some pillars and then Midnight does Something I, I don't know what. Yeah, she does so something like pink stuff comes out of her hands or her mouth well, or so face. Here, I don't remember. Here's what it looked like to me. I, I'm not sure uh, because we haven't seen her power showcased, right? Uh, but Cementos is throwing up those pillars to try and stop the forces from like killing each other, basically. And then Midnight is the one that kind of said like, "All right, let's get in the middle of this," because it seems like they're all communicating through like earpieces or something. Yeah, uh, and we've heard Cementos throughout this episode say like, "Hey, Midoriya is." way overexerting himself. He's he's unwieldy, he's out of control, like we just need to stop this, but they don't for some reason. Uh but when Midnight does her weird power thing, it's like she rips some of her costume off of her arm, and when she does, yeah. it seemed like it was uh like this pink powdery dust that came off. I wonder if she can put people to sleep. Like it totally fits the whole weird dominatrix thing. Uh, so it, it would be interesting if that was her power, like if she can just put people to sleep and it, it, if she has to like maybe scratch her skin or something, I, I'm not sure, uh, but that's my theory for the moment. Or maybe it's like whatever it is that she emits is a super potent aphrodisiac. Huh. Yeah, but it would seem weird that she would use an aphrodisiac on two 15 year olds. I mean, granted, but she is pretty weird. And, and I don't know fit. that that would stop them from fighting. Like, I feel like that or whatever. They would get their attention. They would stop worrying about each other and okay. start that's a <laughs> gravitating really good towards point. her. That is a really <laughs> good point. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. That's it. I like that. Well, and you know what's funny is I feel like a lot of times in our episodes here, we talk about these like possibilities, these theories we have. And then within three minutes of the next episode, it's answered almost like every time. <laughs> Definitely. So I'm willing to bet we'll find out next episode. Uh, but these two powers combine and they are blasting away at each other and the whole arena erupts almost i mean it, we see shards go left and right uh everyone's being blown out of their seats almost and i think azawa is the one that explains like oh well there was this hot air in the middle and cold air on the outsides and it caused an explosion or something yeah he just explained weather yeah pretty much uh and present mike seems to be totally blown away by that which i thought was hilarious uh, and the dust settles, and Todoroki is the only one in the arena. We see Midoriya slammed up against the wall, 
and he looks KO'd. Uh, he's in bad shape, too. Like, he's damaged Definitely. all of his fingers. Uh, he's damaged his mouth. He, like, at one point in time, he was using his cheek to, like, flick his thumb, I guess. So that way he could... Which was pretty cool. Yeah. And then he's breaking his other finger. Like, he's using the fingers he has broken already to blast away Todoroki's eyes. Um, so Cementos wasn't really wrong. Like, he really was... He was laying it down pretty hard. Yeah, and he was doing it... I mean, look, we joked earlier that he was doing it as information gathering, but I think that the more this episode that unfolds, we realize that he was doing it for Todoroki. That he was, again, and there, there's this element of heroism on display in Midoriya that this, this piece of self-sacrifice and of encouragement and selflessness that he is trying to draw... He's, he, he wants Todoroki to be the best that Todoroki can be. Not for... not just for Todoroki's sake, although I certainly think that that's a significant part of it for the sake of, of everybody, if Todoroki goes on to be the hero that Midoriya thinks that he can be. Yeah, Midoriya is just one of those nice guys that wants the best for everybody. Like, he really, truly is just a nice dude. So now we know Midoriya's out, and Todoroki advances. We don't know who he's going to fight next, but in the next on kind of preview thing at the end of this episode, we get kind of lay of the land for the rest of the Elite Eight. So Midoriya versus Todoroki was the first um, of the Elite Eight matches. Next up, we have Ida versus Ibarra, Shiozaki, the, the druid the lady druid with lady, the fine yeah. hair. Yeah. We have Mina versus Tokoyami. And then we have Bakugo versus Kirishima. That'll be the, those are the Elite Eight matches. And we also get to see a little bit, uh, do you watch these? No, I typically don't watch the after credits because we watch them back to back. And I okay. also, I don't like watching them because I don't want to know what happens. And a lot of times I feel like they answer a lot of questions that I would rather just wait and watch. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I'm going to go ahead and just say what I'm going to say anyway. That's um, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe some minor spoilers ahead. It looks like we're going to get some pretty interesting Eda development in the next episode or really? two. Okay. Yeah. Um, so obviously has his, he has his match uh, coming up, but one of his relatives shows up like in costume to the arena and it seems like there might, might be something going down. It's very vague. But I think that Ida is going to have his time in the in the spotlight in the next episode or two. Huh, okay. Um, and I also think that the Bakugo versus Kirishina match is going to be pretty interesting. Well, so like when you say something's going down, I really hope you don't mean like someone's attacking the stadium because if they interrupt these fights, I'm going to be a little pissed off. Yeah, I don't think so. Like if they just shoo in some villains, and you know that reminds me, we still haven't seen that weird like ninja talon thing from the yes. end of season one. I was thinking about that this morning because we. As we're recording this, our episode that covers the the season finale of season one just went live like a couple days ago. Right. And I was listening to it and I forgot about the Spawn Ninja guy. And I was like, where is he? He's got to be coming up, right? So I, I was having the same thought. I was like, where, where is this guy? I want to I wanna meet Spawn Ninja. He seems so cool. Yeah, see, and I get the feeling he's going to be like a super bad villain. Like I, I get a, a feeling that he's going to be worse than like Shigaraki or the League of Villains. Like he's going to be in a league of his own, I think. I think he's going to be something super nasty. And that's why we haven't seen him yet. You know what I mean? Like, I think they're going to drop him yeah. in there at a really crucial moment. I think that it's kind of fun as an exercise for me, like on this side of the microphone, because we're recording so far ahead 
to go and listen to these older episodes and be like, there's so much stuff that I know now, right. you know, that yeah. changes and colors so much of what we've already covered. And it, that's a fun exercise. Yeah, it's fun because, uh, you know, I edit all of our stuff uh, a couple days before we release it. And it's fun listening back now that we've listened or watched a couple of episodes ahead because I'm like, oh, we got the answer to that. Or like, I can't believe I thought that. Uh, yeah, we, we get the unique experience of watching the show for the first time as total greenhorns and then a few weeks later, being able to listen to our episodes as people who have watched further beyond and are getting to retroactively enjoy older things that we're already familiar with. So we get to, we get to play both sides of the aisle, which is pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, it is a lot of fun. Uh, I'm still convinced that the principal is going to turn bad. Uh, of course you are. Yeah, and until it proven otherwise, I will believe that. <laughs> Uh, I'm interested in seeing what happens between Ida though and uh, Shiazaki because I feel like she would be able to take him out like immediately. Uh, you know, vines pop up out of the ground, grab his legs, and throw him out of the ring. Like she's got a wicked power, you know. Yeah, and she doesn't even have to do that. She just has to hold him still. It's incapacitate is also or immobilize rather is one of the rules, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. But you know, we've seen him. We've seen Ida immobilize before, and they didn't ring him out whenever he was fighting uh, Mai. Oh yeah, in the net. Is it my May? May. Uh May, May Hatsume. Uh yeah, I mean, he was netted up. Like I don't know. I I'm, I'm still kind of jaded on that one. Uh but yeah, I guess we'll see. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. Yep. As always, we we end an episode. We end a pair of episodes with much to look forward to. And as long as that's the case, we're going to we're going to keep producing this uh this podcast. Yeah, and even once we run out of episodes, we're going to keep doing it cuz we love it. We're going to figure something to talk about. Absolutely. We got some ideas coming down the pipe for what to do when we when we get current. And I'm I'm pretty excited about spitballing some of those and develop them out for the uh for the listeners. Yeah, me too. And you know, we've had some pretty good discussion in our Discord about uh different things that people would like to see us do. So uh, you know, if you got any ideas or recommendations or just want to talk with us, hop on in. Check it out. Definitely. Hit us up in the Discord where I'm on it, you know, five days a week if I'm sitting in the office usually working. Yep, same here. Trying not to work. Same here. So, but I think that covers it for episode 22 and 23. Uh, what do we got next week? 24 and 25. How close are we getting to the end of this season? Are we like halfway through? I don't know, but one of us should probably look into that so we don't have the, oh shoot, we, now we got to cover three episodes all of a sudden <laughs> all incident of a sudden, like we did at the end of the first season. So <laughs> Right, right. Uh, I am looking up right now to see how many episodes are in season two of My Hero. Uh, that way we can figure out what we're going to do. But regardless, we'll be here next week with the release of the next episode of the Almighty Podcast. So tune in for that. Yep. We'll see you guys next week. Later, guys. The Almighty Podcast is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at backpationetwork.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backpationetwork. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at at backpationet or at almightypod. We'd love the chance to talk with you.